Hi all, welcome to Anime Echoes. Um, we'll be continuing on with Bakano Light Novel 7. So we jump to Tick and Maria, and basically Maria still feels guilty, she still feels really bad about losing to the Spear Girl. Tick says that they should go back to Millionaire's Row, but then Maria can't help but think about what happened before. Not only that, she actually thinks, maybe there's another way for me to beat her without using my swords. Like something with the same range as a spear. But she quickly goes back on that. She doesn't want to even think of that. She doesn't want to make the conclusion that what she's actually using, her blade, that specific blade that she got, that he might actually not be for her. That she can't actually beat this level. So deep down, she really wants to reject the idea that there is another way. She wants to make sure that she can focus on her sword skills as the way to beat this person. Now Tick believes in her. Pretty fully, he says it with a pretty kind of straightforward smile. Maria finally musters up kind of like the confidence and the will within herself to look Tick in the face, especially after like kind of blaming him, well trying to like push away her like internal struggles and throwing it onto him and basically blaming him. But now seeing the sincerity from Tick once again, she knows that she needs to kind of push herself a bit more forward. And so with a sense of like hesitation but also determination, she kind of pushes forward. I like this scene. I thought it was really good. Um, it really showcases like the internal struggle that Marie is going through, what it like really means for her, and what's at stake for her. I like that Tick is like really unassuming, but that his genuine kind of innocence that he has with his character kind of helps Maria out. Like a small smile from him, even if there's not much like meaning in what he's actually trying to convey, it still has a genuine benefit. Now let's move on to Dallas. So he's acting pretty arrogantly, like he's like the star right now, that all of the attention is going towards him. Jacuzzi and his gang are all like kind of surrounded around him and listening to what he has to say. And basically what he's telling them is that, that they should be grateful. But we all know that Dallas is just being incredibly arrogant. Uh, Jacuzzi, we're not fully aware of how much he understands what's going through Dallas's mind. We know that Nice and a couple of the other guys are kind of hesitant, but the rest of the gang also seems to be like eating it up in some way because they did see Dallas regenerate. So because of that, he's got like some standing as like some, he's kind of high up right now. They also bring up Ennis at one point, though Jacuzzi is like, wait, but Isaac and Mira are friends with Ennis, so Ennis must be a good guy. Yes, Ennis has killed a bunch of people, but within our story, she's kind of like one of the good people as well. But Dallas hates her. Dallas has Ennis on his kill list. Now, when Eve is brought up, this is when, like, the tone of the scene changes quite a bit. See, the one thing that Dallas is very precious of is Eve. Dallas finds out that Eve is now the head of the family. And he's like, wait, what? Like, what about my father and brother? Like, what? What's going on here? Though he immediately puts together that they're probably dead. And he's kind of fine with that. He's like, yes, now I'm going to get the inheritance. Though he doesn't know that the Genoa family has kind of dipped in their like inheritance values. After this, it is like further emphasized how much of Achilles heel Eve is to Dallas. It's like the one thing that puts him on the back foot. Even when he was chasing after Fira, not chasing, sorry, but he kind of looked at Fira ominously in the rain. Prior to that, he made sure to kind of try to kind of call Eve if he can because he knows that Eve is somewhat in danger. But Dallas knows he can't show any weakness. He doesn't want to reveal that part of himself. 
so he makes sure to keep quiet about it. Otherwise, it's going to seem like he's... It's going to be like other people can use it as leverage against him. So he needs to show that he has no weaknesses whatsoever. And all of this talk about how Jacuzzi's gang should be grateful to him, all of that is so that Jacuzzi and his gang, he can pit them against Tim and that lava group. That would solve his problem with Eve because they're using Eve as a hostage. He wants to ensure that Tim and Adele are Jacuzzi's enemies. He wants to insert that into the gang's minds. But like I said before, various members of Jacuzzi's gang are pretty hesitant. Not necessarily Jacuzzi himself. Like, we can't really tell what's going on with Jacuzzi. But we know that, like, Nice and John, they're pretty like, mm, I don't trust this Dallas guy just yet. Though Jacuzzi does ask a very key question and a very useful question. He asks if Tim is actually the head of the Lava Group or if he's reporting to someone higher. And Dallas immediately is like, well, how the hell would I know? But he then thinks a bit more and realizes that he knows that it's Huey Lafaray. And the second that name is mentioned, everyone goes quiet and the attention now goes to Chane because she's the daughter of Huey. And now she's very wide-eyed and very cautious now. She's like, why did he mention my father's name? And then she thinks of Lava. And if they're all part of father or Huey's experiments, then that all makes sense to her. Apparently, Huey's personality is very, like, detached scientist-esque. Like, if he sees you as a guinea pig, then he's willing to do, like, bad things to people. So if at this point, if he actually sees Chani, his own daughter, as a guinea pig, then he's pretty willing to put her in danger. We learn that the only person he actually has like a real kind of emotional connection to or something where we kind of understand that his heart's being open is with Alma. But with everyone else, he's pretty detached. Now, Chane and him having like a detached relationship was something I mentioned in like a previous podcast episode. And this makes a lot of sense because with Huey, you get like that really detached scientist kind of vibe and that he's always doing these experiments and things like that. So I think it makes a lot of sense that he doesn't really know how to emotionally connect with his daughter. But from this, we kind of get the idea that he's not even interested in doing that. Like the only person he genuinely connects to with is Alma. And I'm really curious to see like why that is the case. Alma seems like such a completely different personality. Like he's all about smiles and making like the good outcome happen, making sure the positive outcome happens. They seem completely different. Like why are they... Like, why is he the one guy that makes, that Huey considers to be, like, a genuine, genuine friend or someone he considers to have a genuine connection with? Like, right now, that doesn't really make sense to me, but I'm really curious to see why that is the case. So, I really want to know more about that. Also, like mentioned before, his code is, if he sees you as guinea pigs, then he's willing to do cruel things to you. But if you're considered a non-guinea pig then he won't hurt you. And he considers that kind of like a code. And the reason for that is that it would make Alma sad if he did something like that. So if he hurt people that were like outside the, you know, the plan and the situation he's in, basically if he hurt like random civilians or something like that, then that would make Alma sad and he wouldn't want that. Now Chane is pretty okay with her being a guinea pig, even though she is the daughter of Huey. But what she doesn't, or what she isn't okay with is that if Jacuzzi and the gang is considered a guinea pig, then they're in danger. Because Huey's willing to do whatever he wants to them. And 
for Chane, they're her genuine companions. She actually considers them to be people she's very close with. And for the first time, they might be people that she considers to be on the same level as Huey. So that's a really big deal. So she's really created a genuine connection with Jacuzzi and the rest of them. Like, she might even consider them, like, family. Now, as Chani's, like, really stressed about this situation and about how, you know, she needs to, like, kind of balance Jacuzzi's gang and her father and what she should actually do, Claire comes out of nowhere. And I knew it was Claire because the way the author wrote it was that the atmosphere of the situation was changing, like, the atmosphere of the place that they were in was getting colder. Like, when you hear something that exaggerated... And you know that Claire is eventually going to meet Jacuzzi and the gang. You kind of put the two and two together and think, okay, Claire just arrived. And what makes perfect sense is that Dallas is terrified of Claire. And to be fair, everyone is also terrified of Claire. Like, even though Jacuzzi knows him now and they've formed, like, some sort of bond, he's still pretty scared of Claire. Like, he's not as on edge as he was with Ronnie because, you know... We're getting the impression that Ronnie and um, Claire and Ronnie are on like a similar level of being threatening. But because Jacuzzi knows Claire, it's not that intimidating. And they know that they're friends. So it's a lot easier now. But they still do feel like a certain amount of menacing aura from Claire. Whether you're friends with him or not. We also learn that only Chane can call Claire, Claire. And he says that Claire is the name of his soul. And that's why only Chane can say that. Um, This is really interesting because I thought that Claire wasn't really particular about his own name. Like, I thought he was very willing to kind of shift identities and stuff like that. So Claire was just like, just another identity that he wasn't really, um, that he didn't really care about. Like, even his core identity or the one he was kind of born with or that was given to him. It was just something he could like wash away. But now what he's doing is saying that Claire is him fundamentally and Chani can actually call him that. Um, or only Chani can call him that. So now Claire is, or that identity of Claire is something that's precious to him. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Either way, uh, Claire says that he'll go talk to Luck and handle everything with Ronnie as well. And basically take care of everything for Jacuzzi and everyone else as well. So what's great about Claire is that he can just smooth everything over. He has connections to so many people, and he also has the strength to back it up. So, Jacuzzi's gang right now seems to be, like, pretty well off. Like, they don't seem like anything bad's going to happen. Like, Claire and Luck can just have a conversation, and then bam, the Gandors are no longer a problem for Jacuzzi. Anyhow, we have, like, these funny kind of interactions between Claire and Chane. Like, Claire really understands what Chane is saying, and everyone is also looking on, thinking, how are you understanding her? She can't speak. All she does is do like little nods. And Claire says with very, you know, focused uh, belief in himself or what he's saying that he can just tell from her eyes. Like her eyes just tell the entire story. So once again, we're kind of going back to that theme from before uh, in like the previous novels, especially in the um, like the train section. Sorry, what was it called again? Like the railroad arc. That's it. Um, Where like the eyes generally like reflect the character. In this case, it's also doing the same. So I can see the author kind of hearkening back to that theme. Also, he says it's because he loves her from the bottom of his heart. So that also helps him, apparently. Anyhow, Claire being the larger-than-life character that he is, 
he knows Dallas's plan immediately. He gets it immediately. He just looks at him. He understands what Dallas is doing. He says it out loud that he knows that Dallas is trying to use Jacuzzi's gang for his own benefit. Dallas is terrified of Claire, and he sees him as like an ideal almost that he actually wants to reach. Like he thinks, Claire has everything that I want. Like Claire is strength, and I want that. Claire says out loud to Dallas that he knows that he's trying to just use Jacuzzi and the gang. And that Claire will be like, yeah, you can use me too, but I'll be using you as well. And he says it completely out loud, so he's very forthcoming with what he thinks. Dallas is wondering, why can you do this? How do you know so much? And Claire just gives a straight answer that is super arrogant, <laughs> which is, because I can do anything. And that's Claire. So overall, I thought this scene was really, really good. Um, the second Claire comes along, just everything changes. Like, it was nice seeing, as in, it wasn't nice seeing, because I don't like Dallas, but, like, he was pretty forthcoming. He was kind of, like, the dominant figure for a while. Everyone kind of had to listen to him. But the second Claire comes along, it's just completely different. Like, Claire's now the top dog, and everyone's kind of listening to him, and it's just nice to see Dallas on the back foot, because, well, Dallas sucks, and he's just really annoying and super arrogant, and he's always talking a bunch of crap, like... You just don't want to listen to the guy. So every time he kind of gets pushed to the wayside or every time he gets like ignored or put in his place, it's just really entertaining to see. Um, and I'm really excited for Claire to really be kind of part of this story now because there's other characters that are like super strong that are coming up as well. Like we get him having um, kind of similarities to, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy... Oh, oh, uh, Christopher, like they're kind of similar as well, but they're more similar in personality. We don't know if they're similar in strength. And then Ronnie was similar in strength to Claire as well. So before Claire's just kind of been like this dominant force that can do whatever he wants. And even in this scene, that's exactly what he is. But now with these other powerful figures kind of coming into the fray, we're going to see Claire actually struggle. And I think that's really important. Like I want to see what happens when... Claire has to confront that perhaps the world doesn't revolve around him or that he can't do everything. Like, is that going to come up or is that aspect of himself always going to be fixed and Claire's always going to be used as kind of like this chaotic figure that is super imposing, but the author tries not to use that much because he takes up so much space. Though what I will say, like, where, like, seven uh, novels into the series and Claire's been used quite a bit so I don't think the author really holds back on using Claire to be honest like he's been used in the volume two he's been used in volume three he's been used in volume four as well so and then yeah he's gonna be a big part of this volume as well so Claire's used quite a bit um so I think it is good to have characters that can kind of match him in terms of strength because the second he's on the scene he's just way too dominant uh, I'm really interested to seeing how China and Huey's relationship develops. I want to see a lot more of that. Like, I want to see them interact. I don't know if we'll actually be able to see that in this novel. I don't think so. I feel like the story's heading in a direction where everything's going to kind of converge back into Millionaire's Row again. I think that's what's happening. I'm not 100% sure. But from memory, the Spear user was also going back there. And now Maria and Tick are going there as well. I might be wrong about that, but I feel like everyone's just going to kind of go back to that one place again. And 
somehow, I don't know how, but everyone's just going to go back there and it's just going to be the same chaos we had at the end of Light Novel 6. So I'm pretty interested to see that. Oh, uh, another scene that I kind of want to mention is that Claire kind of comes around and then like hugs Chane. I feel like they referred to an incident that we haven't seen yet that involves Claire and Chane kind of seeing each other for the first time after the railroad incident. So I really want to see that, but I think that's going to be left into another volume. Like it's implied that it's like another section of the story. So I'm really keen to see that. But yeah, I like what their relationship is. One thing that I thought was interesting is that for Chane, the most special people in her life are Huey and Jacuzzi and the rest of them. Um, She doesn't mention Claire. Now, is that because Claire just isn't as important in her eyes as the rest of them? Because she doesn't really hang around with Claire all that much. Like, it's, you know, like, Claire just appeared out of nowhere. So he's still doing other stuff. So maybe he's not as higher up. Or does he kind of have his own little sweet spot? Maybe Claire doesn't care about that. Like, maybe Claire just wants her to be in his world. He doesn't really care, uh like what his standing is because he has that kind of self-belief in himself. I'm not sure, um, but I just thought that was really interesting. Now, yeah, um, so that's my general thoughts about this section of Light Novel 7. Um, it's really heating up. I'm really keen to see where this all goes. Um, I feel like it's all going to crescendo at Millionaire's Row again. I could be wrong, but I know there's a crescendo coming because that's just how the author writes. And I mean, any author writes, right? Like you build up and then you make everything come together and create like some grand finale so that's basically what we're heading to I think I really hope it comes soon because I want the grand finale to be like a bit longer than the previous novels one um though that one was significantly long um I still want this one to also be like really really long because I want to see all the different fights and all the different interactions that we were able to see so yeah because like so many of the characters still haven't really met each other yet so yeah, it's still really, really interesting. Um, yeah, so I'm keen to see what happens next. Um, yeah, and just continuing it on where we left off. So Tick and Maria, they're going to Millionaire's Row, and they're having this interesting conversation about like what dulls the blade or makes the blade worse. Um, Tick says that what hurts the blade the most is cutting living things. Maria says it's the opposite, um, which makes sense given her personality. Like, she's a, you know, like a hide killer. She's been using her blade to murder a bunch of people. So the idea that her blade's been dulled by killing people doesn't really make sense. Like, she has such a high body count that... And she hasn't noticed her blade even get worse because of that. So, I guess, like, in Maria's mind, that's not really a argument that she can really understand. Um, I wonder where Tick's actually getting that perspective from. Like Tick has been, <clears throat> like Tick has been using his scissors to like cut the flesh of, um, like people that he's torturing. Is he perhaps implying that all of the little snips that he's been doing for a while, like whatever the reason behind that was, um, like I think it's to like um kind of test the bonds between people, um, but regardless of that, um, that after each snip, like it's not as um like enjoyable anymore or there's no thrill behind it, or there's less meaning behind it. I'm not really sure where this little conversation idea is going, but I think it's pretty interesting. Either way, they shop to Millionaire's Row, and Eve Genouard shows up. 
So both of them kind of show up. They're kind of surprised that Eve is even in there. Like, they were surprised to see that there were lights in the place before. Like, there was a huge fight there, right? And there was, like, a smoke screen and everything. So they thought, maybe it's the police, but they didn't really expect it to be Eve. A way to kind of BS their way through it and to make, you know, Eve think that they're friends with people that she knows, they say that they're friends with Fang. Now, Eve calls Fang, and then Fang comes over and then looks at them and is like, who the hell are you guys? You know, he doesn't know who they are. And then Maria just dashes, right, gets her blade out, and then puts it right at Eve's throat. So now she has Eve as a hostage. So things have kind of, like, taken the worst turn, at least from the perspective of uh, Eve. And um, I guess Jacuzzi's group as well. Like, they wouldn't want something like this happening to Eve, obviously. But also something interesting happens. So Eve and Maria get, like, a good look at each other, and they realize that they actually recognize each other, which is a really good callback to the fourth volume. The way they recognize each other is based on like their outfits. So Eve sees Maria and sees how distinct her outfit is and remembers that she was there um, basically at like the daily days and that um, she saw her because of her, you know, because of how distinct her outfit actually is. And then Maria saw Eve and thinks, oh, you're that girl, the one that Vino uh, bought in. And then another thing that basically kind of tips things not in Maria's favor and makes her really confused. Eve says, do you know Luck? And then Maria's thinking, wait, like, why are you talking about my boss? Wait, did I just take hostage someone who's like an acquaintance of my boss? This isn't good. So now Maria's like super confused. She's like, wait, what should I do? And that's kind of how the situation ends. So yeah, like the line at the end is basically, I'm really confused and I don't know what I'm going to do. So I thought this was a pretty interesting scene. I'm glad to see Eve back in the story. Like I was really hoping to see more of her and then she kind of vanished for like a really long time. So now that she's back, um, this should be really good. I'm really hoping that Eve and Dallas actually meet at the end of this novel. Or is this something that the author is just going to keep pushing back more and more and make it into like a like a grand thing when they finally meet? Um, though I, I do feel like they're going to meet by the end of this novel. But yeah, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, this was a really good scene. Um, and yeah, I'm keen to see what happens next. Now we move on to Christopher and Firo, and they're kind of just chilling with each other. It kind you kind of get the vibe that Christopher is acting like Firo's counselor or something, or you know, Firo's just explaining himself to him, and Christopher's just kind of listening on. Anyways, within their little dynamic and in the silence, and Firo ruminating ruminating, sorry, on um, what's kind of going on, he makes the connection that perhaps the group that Ronnie is after, that if that group has some sort of connection to Dallas, because Fira is thinking, wait, I just saw Dallas, and then I find out that NSM Ronnie has been kidnapped, this is kind of confusing as well, so he made that connection, and then he thinks, okay, let me actually go make a call. Now, Christopher actually grabs him by the arm, and Fira looks back, and then Christopher gives him a umbrella, because the rain's pouring so much. It's an interesting scene. Apparently, Christopher has, like, a hundred friend plan. He wants to make, like, a hundred friends or something. I guess Firo would be one of them. Um, but, yeah, I don't really know what Christopher's thinking. Um, we do know that he has a certain kind of aversion to the rain. Even though he loves nature, there's a certain part of, like, the natural act of rain that he actually dislikes. I don't know if he, like, specifically dislikes it or... 
if he like if he doesn't like how imposing it is or how much he can change the mood. I'm still not really sure on what his dislike of the rain actually is, but he says he likes nature. Um, I feel like there's kind of a contradiction there. Um, or maybe like when he says nature, he means like plants and beautiful things, things that he considers to be aesthetically beautiful. Yeah, like th- that kind of nature, not everything that's natural. So maybe he does go against things that are natural or some things that are natural, but um, the things that he does love tends to be like nature, like greenery and stuff like that. And maybe that's why he gives like the umbrella. It's like you're still fighting against the rain. So go for it kind of thing. Now Chi keeps mentioning that um, that they have a plan that they need to do. Or they have like a mission that they're on. Um, they need to work together with Tim. There's things to do. Um, Christopher very offhand says that, you know what? If he gets in our way and there's things that I want to do, well, we could just kill him. Like he's very matter of fact about that. And since... We are talking about his 100-friend plan. Um, since Friends is very on topic, Chi actually asked like a really like pressing question. Um, he asks, you know, would you kill me if I disobeyed Huey? Like, what kind of friend am I to you? We've known each other for like decades. So what am I to you specifically? And Christopher, without any hesitation, says, yeah, of course I would. And he says that with a complete straight face. And we get like this line where Chi's basically commending Huey for making Christopher as twisted as he is. So I'm really interested to seeing like Huey and Christopher's relationship because the implication that we get is that Huey actually made Christopher this way. Um, I kind of wonder if that's actually the case or if Christopher was always kind of screwed in the head and then Huey doesn't really know how to like interact with people. At least that's the kind of vibe I get from Huey. He seems like some sort of like crazy scientist kind of guy. So maybe you know, like, human connection is kind of difficult for him. Seems like he only has a connection with Alma, apparently. Um, Like, he cares if Alma gets sad, things like that. But, yeah, I wonder if the reason why Christopher is kind of screwed up isn't because Huey made him screwed up. It's just Huey never really, I don't know, knew how to take care of someone. Or maybe I'm just reading too much into it, and Huey is very much like this mad scientist type of guy and he very much just thinks of Christopher as a guinea pig but Christopher seems very loyal to Huey um I wonder if he sees him as some sort of like father kind of thing or if it's something different to that because if it is something like a father then Christopher and China would have a pretty interesting dynamic as well right like she's like the blood daughter but Christopher's not like the blood son so that would be pretty cool as well I'm really curious to see like where Christopher's character goes. He's really interesting. Um, and yeah. Now lastly, we jump over to Ronnie. And this is also really cool. We can see that he can basically see everything. Like he saw Firo and like what's happening with him. Like him in the rain. Who he's talking to. So Christopher and um, Chi and stuff. So it's pretty... Like he can see, I don't know, like glimpses of stuff that are like way like, way further away from him. And he's in, like, a completely different building, so I don't even know how far apart these guys are, but he can see it. Um, And he seems to have this little action where he touches his temple, and he touches it again, almost like he's, like, going through, like, snapshots, or, like, he's watching, like, a film reel in his head. Um, I'm not really sure what his power is, but it seems to be something about, like, being able to see, like, a clear picture of what's going on. You don't really get the impression that he actually knows what the conversations were about, 
No, no, he does. He does. Because he says, oh, man, like, I wish, um, like, Fira worried more about me than Ennis. Like, it was very clear that Fira, uh, that Ennis was really on his mind more than Ronnie. So what that means is Ronnie can also, like, hear him as well. So it is probably more of, like, a film reel. Like, it's not like a screenshot. Um, he's he's hearing, like, um, voices and things like that. Um, so it could be, like, a really, um, really high-quality kind of vision, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure what his power is, but I think he does activate it by touching his temple. So I think that's really interesting, and I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, yeah, we also get, like, a little hint about, like, Ennis and how she wants to meet, like, a certain group as well. I'm pretty sure, like, it's pretty evident that the group that she wants to meet is, um, like, Lava, because they mentioned Zillard. Um, I do kind of wonder if Ronnie can actually, like, even when he's, like, fighting and things like that, if he can see, uh, moments that are further away from him. Like, did he see that moment that Ennis had with the spear person? Um, did he, like, touch his temple at any point during that? Or did he actually just see that with his eyes? Um... Either way, I think this is all pretty cool, um, and I'm really curious to see where this goes. Uh, there was a lot of speculating, um, but yeah, we'll see where it goes. I'm enjoying this quite a bit right now. Um, I'm really enjoying Christopher, I think. I just like the way he speaks, how crazy he is, and I really want to see him uh, interact with... I want to see him interact with Chane because of what I said before about you know if he sees Huey as like a father figure, but I also want to see him interact with um, Claire as well. So we jump over to Christopher and Chi, and Chi's looking very serious at this moment. He's basically wondering why Lisa hasn't popped up. Generally, when Christopher's kind of acting out, or if his actions seem to like inhibit the mission that Huey wants to happen, Lisa will come out of nowhere and then try to stop Christopher. So we find out that Lisa is actually super, super loyal to Huey. Like apparently even more so than Christopher. But turns out, Lisa was actually around. She was in the darkness again. Um, they just couldn't see her, and I guess the confusion was just that she didn't pop up. She says that normally, like, Lisa would pop up. So, what's going on? Like, is this something to do with Firo, the person that they just met? Is it something else? Why haven't you popped up? Now, Lisa's personality was also kind of strange like the rest of them. So she doesn't really give anything away. She just kind of makes it seem like, yeah, you're wrong. Um, I just didn't pop up because I didn't want to kind of thing. But turns out that she was right to be kind of like skeptical. Um, this is kind of like a misdirection from Lisa's base personality. This is all part of Huey's plan or Huey's mission, but she doesn't explain anything. Now, this is really interesting because it got me thinking, how could Firo play into Huey's plan or what their plan is as a group? Like, it doesn't really make any sense, at least within my mind. So I'm really curious to see, like, where this goes because right now I can't even fathom how Huey could actually have a connection with Firo to begin with. Not only that, they start talking about the twins and how... Well, these t twins that are part of this Lamia organization, I think, they seem to send messages in some way, or, like, they give, like, directives or directions to the members of Lamia. They tell, um, or, or like, apparently the twins 
like have mentioned to Lisa in some capacity that Adele um is on her way, um and he's in the rain. So now they know that somehow. Um, I'm not really sure how this, you know, like this twins, like I don't know who the twins are. So I'm curious to see who they actually are. Um, another really interesting tidbit is that we find out that Chi and Christopher have been friends for like 38 years and that Chi really doesn't understand their friendship at all. Like, he doesn't get it whatsoever. Like, we get the impression that Chi is one of the people who actually seems kind of normal within the group itself. Um, But not only that, Chi and Christopher look like they're in their 20s. So it's kind of strange for them to say that they've been friends for like 38 years. So what this could mean is that maybe they're immortals. Maybe they've also taken like, um, like not like a complete immortality, but maybe it's something else. They could also be like homunculi or something like that. I think they could be many things only because like Huey's like a scientist. So it would make sense that they could be a variety of things. Like a mad scientist creates a bunch of experiments and alters like the chemistry of like a bunch of humans or different species and mashes them together. Like it is interesting to think like why Christopher has those red eyes. You know, why is Chi the way he is and why is Lisa just in the darkness? Like what's going on there? So I thought all of this was really, really interesting. This scene, like, especially, builds so much mystery, I feel like, around this group. Like, Lamia really feels like a, like, far more of, like, an ominous presence. Um, and I really like that. And the thing that was also kind of different is that Christopher is normally really zany and crazy. And he is still that within this little scene. But Christopher actually feels a bit more serious. Uh, like, just a tad more serious. Like, when it's mentioned that Lisa is a lot more loyal, we kind of see a small shift from Christopher towards actually moving towards doing the mission, like wanting to find Adele and things like that. So, I think it's really interesting to see when Christopher gets serious, it really does feel like the like the tone of the scene changes because generally, he's acting as, like, the bombastic one. So, I really liked seeing that. I'm also interested in Chi and Christopher's friendship. Like, Chi seems to be kind of... Like, I don't know if he's actually worrying about their friendship dynamic or if he just kind of doesn't get it and it's kind of supposed to be played for laughs. But Chi does seem to take it kind of seriously. Lastly, I found Lisa a lot more intimidating now. Like, before she was kind of like this presence in the background. But... When we hear that normally Lisa would like take Firo out or do something like that, she does end up becoming more menacing. And also the scene ends with just her giggling in the background. And obviously there's no like presence because she's just kind of in the darkness. So it's even more on like menacing as well. So this entire scene I thought was really, really good. Kind of spooky, but also builds a lot of mystery. But I think the thing that really stood out to me was like Christopher becoming even like a smidge more serious. Like, that's what really kind of stood out. So I really enjoyed this scene. Now, the next scene moves on to Tick, Maria, Eve, and Fang. So they're basically kind of walking out in the rain. So we know that Maria has Eve as a hostage, and also Fang is a hostage as well. The Fang's just moving uh, ahead of all of them. And he's kind of in the lead with, like, Tick behind him. They're all going to, like, an abandoned lot that's beside the Hudson. Now, Tick's, like, peering in. He's looking at Maria's face and thinking, hmm. 
And he says something that's pretty striking. He says that Maria's overcompensating, that she kind of just wants a quick win with this hostage situation, and that she shouldn't do that. In that moment, since we know that Maria is also quite sensitive at that moment, uh, she feels like a wound that was forcibly closed by tape has been kind of opened. And I really like this, um, this line, like a wound that was forcibly closed by tape. This shows that Marie is really just bluffing the entire time. Like, wounds heal, and wounds take time to heal, and eventually they do close. But if you close something by tape, then that's just a temporary fix. So I think that was a good, like, metaphor or allegory for what's actually going on here. We find out that Tick, the entire time, has just been thinking about her, which I thought was pretty sweet. Um, and he compares her to some of his, like, torture victims that it's the same like false bravado as he's cutting through their flesh, that she shows that, which is kind of a unsettling comparison, but an apt one nonetheless. Marie says kind of softly, even if you know, don't say it. But she also faintly smiles as well. So I thought that was kind of interesting, and I'll go into that later, like the fact that she faintly smiles. Now, right after this faint smile, Eve looks at her and says, I wonder if Dallas can smile like that too. I liked Tick zooming in on Maria's face and thinking really logically. I think it's pretty apparent of his character that he does tend to think things through in a very kind of logical fashion. Maria does like push back with his analysis, but she also has that faint smile. And you can't help but think, well, why would you have a faint smile when someone exposes you so clearly? Well, I think it's because she feels heard at the same time. Like when someone describes you accurately or can see what you're going through so clearly and they can portray that to you, then I think it's nice to know that like someone's looking at you with that much consideration. So I think that Maria also feels heard by that. Maybe perhaps a bit embarrassed because he said it out loud, but nonetheless, the accuracy really makes her feel heard. And not only that, it makes Eve think that Marie is more of a human, even though Maria is taking hostage of Eve. Seeing that faint smile makes her relate to her in some way, and then also think, can Dallas also smile like that too? So even though this is a hostage situation, it's pretty clear that out of all the main characters in this situation, everyone's all up in their own heads. They're all trying to figure things out. It doesn't really feel like an intense situation as all, at all. Like, it's very much people having their own agendas within their own minds and trying to deal with their own crap, basically. This scene felt very somber in certain moments, but also really wholesome, which I enjoyed as well. I also thought that Eve seeing um, Maria smile and seeing that as something almost relatable and something she can transfer onto Dallas, it felt like something that Alma would perhaps point out. Um, like, I think the idea of a smile representing something fundamental about being human is something that Alma would also agree with. So I think this might be a really interesting visual showcase of Alma's philosophy in some way. Um, I might be wrong about that, but I think that's really, really cool. So yeah, I really enjoyed this scene as well. 